Lord Jesus, teach thou me that I may teach them. Sanctify and enable all my powers that in their full strength they may deliver thy message reverently, readily, faithfully, and fruitfully. O make thy word a swift word, passing from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the life. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. That beautiful and very powerful prayer is from the pen of the 17th century poet and priest George Herbert. Well, we're in church, obviously, right? So be honest with me now. How many of you have made a resolution, a New Year's resolution or two? Any of you? Okay. I'm not going to ask how many of you have still kept those. <laughs> that, that would be too intrusive. But the truth of the matter is, uh, the New Year's resolution has become almost just a cliche. It's just kind of one of those traditional things that we do, but it seems a lot of people don't really take it all that seriously. Out of curiosity, I googled uh, New Year's resolution the other day while I was preparing for this, and uh, the first thing, very first thing that came up says this, stop trying to make New Year's resolutions happen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> and I thought, my, how encouraging. That just... It just makes me want to go out and, and do more. Well, it, it is kind of discouraging, isn't it, sometimes, when we, when we put all this stuff and, and you know, realize how difficult change is. Uh, the fact is that at most New Year's resolutions just become good intentions, which, as an old saying goes, are the pavement on the road to hell. Still, there's something about that new blank calendar that compels us to want things to be different, to want things to be better this year. And I'm not just speaking about the obvious stuff, the political stuff and the pandemic and so forth. I'm speaking of something each and every one of us today can actually do, something that we can do about it in our own lives. So today I offer you not a New Year's resolution, but a New Year's renovation. Holy Scripture is filled not with mere suggestions, but with commands from our Creator, what to do and what not to do, all of which boil down to you and I being the kind of people that we're simply supposed to be, the kind of people we were created to be. And all of this is ultimately for his glory, but also for our good. And not just here and now in the present, but for eternity as well. Now our Lord himself, as our text from Isaiah states, is one who will not merely speak of justice, but actually we're told that he will actually bring it forth. He'll make it happen. The justice that he makes will be an eternal justice. And he also goes on to say that he becomes a light to the nations to open our blind eyes to the truth. He frees us from the dungeon. As I thought about that, I thought, well, physical dungeon, but the dungeon of those things in our lives that enslave us, those are dungeons. And we, you and I, as his followers, his disciples, are called upon to join him in this work as his representatives, his ambassadors, as St. Paul calls us in 2 Corinthians 5.20. How about that? What an honor. But also, what a grave responsibility. So how? How can we make all this happen? Well, there's, there's the rub. Question, how many, how many former Baptists, either Baptists or former Baptists, uh, do we have in the audience today? Several. Well, quite a few of us, okay. Uh, I was raised in the Baptist faith, as some of you know. And following college and seminary, I pastored three Baptist churches in Central Florida over a period of 21 years. And a big part of Baptist uh, spirituality 
is, is the idea of the altar call or the invitation, as it's sometimes called. At the end of the service, while a hymn is being sung, folks are invited to come forward. And people would come forward for a number of reasons, sometimes just to pray or to be prayed for. They would sometimes come to express their desire to join the church or to request baptism and that sort of thing. Now, just a little quick sidebar here. If someone ever asks you why we as Anglicans don't do that, why we don't have an altar call, you can tell them, we do have an altar call. And who can tell me what we call it? Who said Eucharist? Or heard it over here. A for the day. It's the Eucharist. This is the altar call. And I've, I've told that to people before. They just look at me like I've lost my mind. Uh, well, we do that every Sunday, and I'm glad we do. Many times during the altar call, people would say something like this, something on the order of, Pastor, I'm, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, but I have not been living right, and I need to rededicate my life to the Lord. I've done that many times myself, especially at church camp and that sort of thing. And at some point, I started asking people, not every single time, but I started asking people, and tell me what that would look like. Yeah, rededicate my life to the Lord. That's very big picture kind of stuff. What does that mean for you here and now in your life and your lifestyle and other things? And uh, I always got some pretty strange looks or strange answers. Because otherwise, this is just nothing but a good intention. And we know that those pave the road to hell. A good invitation hymn is the little chorus, Change My Heart, O God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O God, may I be like you. You are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me. This is what I pray. Great little song. Now, there's nothing wrong with this as a prayer. If, if by that one is saying, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. I cannot do this in my own strength, but I'm willing to be what you want me to be. Now, if that's what we're saying when we pray that, that's well and good. But if you think that by praying this prayer over and over and over again, that things will be different, well, just like the New Year's resolution, it's not going to happen. You could pray this prayer every day, all day, for a month of Sundays, and nothing is going to change. That's not how things get done. 20 years ago, Dallas Willard, the late Dallas Willard, wrote a wonderful book called Renovation of the Heart. Some of you were in my spiritual growth class where we uh, examined that book and taught it. I have found it to be the most helpful book on how the Christian life really works and how you implement the things that, that we talk about every Sunday and, and that are part of our, part of our experience as, as Christians. Well, Willard uses the example of learning a foreign language. Now, before you do that, it needs to be very clear in your mind. If you wanted to say, I want, I want to learn Arabic or Italian or whatever, it needs to be very clear in your mind as to why you want to do that and what that will involve in terms of your time and your money and your energy and how you're going to go about doing that and when and all of these things. We sort of just do those things automatically with the things that we want to see done. Now, this principle is true of every single thing that ever gets done on this planet, whether it's something as ordinary and mundane as doing your laundry or something as bold and as grand and glorious as building a huge skyscraper. It, all of those things have one thing in common. They all have intentionality built into them. Everything that gets done has these three elements, and Willard uses this throughout his book. A little simple acrostic called VIM. Some of you will recall that. V-I-M. VIM. The V is for vision. So let's think about the vision for a few minutes. Everything starts with that. 
Specifically in our context, we're thinking about the vision of life in the kingdom of God, which Willard defines as the range of God's effective will, where what God wants done is done. Alas, many Christians live these compartmentalized lives, as I like to describe it. It looks something like this. Well, over here is my vocational part of my life. That's my job. Over here is my family life, wife and kids and so forth. Over here are my my pastimes, my hobbies, and that sort of thing. Oh, and over here is my spiritual life. That's my churchy religious stuff. And over here is my friendships. Over here is my social life, and so on and so forth. And we have these little boxes, as it were, mentally, of these are all just different parts of my life. Well, that, that simply won't do. Because what we're talking about, and what I'm talking about today, is integrating the teachings of Scripture, the teachings of our Lord, into every facet of our life. Now, St. Peter says it better. It's a little bit of a long passage, but bear with me on this. Listen carefully. St. Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life. And that's all of life, not just your religious life. All things that pertain to life, your life and mine, and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. For this very reason, he says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours, and they can be, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's the vision. That is the vision, the big picture, to be like Jesus. And Peter elaborates on that as something that is not only required of us, but it's very doable. Now, it seems like a very tall order, one that only a few super saints could, could attain to, but no. What I'm, if you don't take anything away from this today, take this. This is the normal Christian life. This is what it's supposed to be for every last one of us, not just the ones that get canonized and become super saints and all that. It's life as it was meant to be lived, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And do we not... Do we not admire this in others? And, and when it's absent in our life, we, we don't like it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But we have to be asking ourselves a question constantly, and that is, what will all that look like for me in my life today, here, and tomorrow, and next year? Well, that's the vision. Now, moving on to the I and them. The I and them is intention. It's the intention to become a kingdom person. It's amazing, again, to me how many Christians are intentional about everything else in their life except their relationship to God. They're intentional about everything else. Nothing would get done if you didn't have intention to it. Willard says this, the vision of life in the kingdom through reliance upon Jesus makes it possible for us to intend to live in the kingdom as he did. 
we can actually decide to do it. (laughs) Concretely, we intend to live in the kingdom of God by intending to obey the precise example and teachings of Jesus. This is the form that trust in him takes. Very important. Trust. Faith. See, it's one thing to believe truths about Jesus. What scripture tells us about his person and work, what the creeds tell us that we recite, those are things about Jesus. And I hope that you believe those things are true, because they are. <laughs> but, it, but, isn't, but it's quite another thing to actually believe him. Not just to believe the things about him, but to believe him, to believe what he says, that what he says is absolutely true for you in the here and now. And isn't that ultimately why we don't obey him and his teachings and commandments? When it's all said and done, we do that, or don't, we don't do the things that we're supposed to do. We do the things we shouldn't because we don't trust him. We don't believe him. And we, I could give example after example. I'll just, I'll just give you a couple of them. Take, take, for example, tithing. First of the year, sometimes people think, okay, I need to, I need to start tithing. I need to do better do a better job of that. The Old Testament is often referred to as the first fruits. That's very important, that it's the first fruits. It's not the leftovers. It's not the idea of, let me take care of all my financial obligations and, oh yeah, I think I can, I think I can pull it off this week or this month or however often you do that. That's not the first fruits. No, it's the first of the increase. In an agrarian economy that those people lived in, that was a big sacrifice, a very big sacrifice indeed. So, Otherwise, what, what the Lord winds up getting is just the leftovers. And so that's what we often do, make sure that all the, all the bases are covered because we really don't trust him, that his promise is that, that he will bless that and, and that he will increase it. And it only, it only becomes that if it's the first fruits. I'll give you another example. Let's say you get jammed up with your boss at work and you, you made a mistake and you did something really, really terrible and you're going to have to talk to your boss about it. The temptation is going to be perhaps to lie about it and say, no, that's, that's not true, that's not what happened, or, or just, to, just to make up a lie because you're afraid of your boss, because you're afraid you might get fired. Well, that's, that's a possibility. But what it really boils down to is when you tell that lie is you don't trust God. You don't trust God that if you do the right thing, that somehow he will make it okay. Now, you still could lose your job, depending on what you did. But even in those things, even in those things, obedience is about doing the right thing, doing what God says to do, and trusting God with the results. And those are just two of a great many examples. Another Anglican from the old days, 1686, uh, William Law was born, and he wrote a book called, I love this title, A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life. That's a, that's a robust title, is it not? And in there he says this, if you will stop and ask yourselves why you are not as pious is the word he uses, we would, we would probably say spiritual. That is, less, uh, is a little more common to us. If you were to stop and ask yourselves why you're not as spiritual as those primitive Christians were, those earliest followers of Jesus, your own heart will tell you that it is neither through ignorance nor inability, but purely because you never thoroughly intended it. Hmm. Well, that's the truth, isn't it? If you get right down to it, that's what it boils down to. And thirdly, and finally, there's the M and them, is the means. 
by which we accomplish this. That's the, that's the M in the acrostic. Willard says the vision and the solid intention to obey Christ will naturally lead to seeking out and applying the means to the end. And he elaborates, of course, on all these, but I'll, I'm just going to stop right there. Uh, I absolutely implore you, get the book if you've never read it. Get the book. Uh, you, will, you will be blessed and it will change your life. If you, if you do the things that, that are in there, there's no magic to it. But let's go back to George Herbert as we close this morning. George Herbert's prayer where we began. See how well you listened here. Oh, make thy word a swift word passing from the ear to the what? Anyone? Heart. Ooh, some of you got that. Good. And, th and that means internalizing it. When the, when the word passes from the ear to the heart, that means we've internalized it. We've accepted it. We've, we've made it our own. And that's a good thing. And then he says, from the heart to the what? Life. Life. That's exactly it. That's what I've been saying all morning. From the heart to the life. Every single facet of life. Every aspect of your life. And to the extent that you intentionally put all this into practice, God, the Holy Spirit, will indeed change your life, as the song says, molding you and making you into the very image of the Lord Jesus Christ for his ultimate glory and for your good. Amen.